have you ever followed someone without knowing where they were going or why they were going there? You know, some of us did that uh, just yesterday, heading to the, the volleyball game. We had no clue where we were going, but uh, Nikki had her GPS, and we got there. But we, we find ourselves doing that, and the disciples found themselves following Jesus under those circumstances. They, they didn't know where they were going, and they didn't know where he was going. They didn't know that... He was headed to Jerusalem for the crucifixion. And because they didn't know where he was going, some were following with with fear and others with misunderstanding. But two began following with opened eyes. So what kind of follower are you? Do you know where you're going? Do you know who you're following and where he's going and why? Have you not only heard but really embraced the truth of where he's going? These are important questions. We pick up our study in the 20th chapter of Matthew, verses 17 through 19, where we find the disciples following with fear. And as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Now, Mark doesn't tell us, but, or Matthew doesn't tell us, but Mark does make it clear that the disciples were following with fear. In Mark 10:32, we read, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. Now, for some time, Jesus had been avoiding Jewish cities. He had taken the disciples to the Gentile seaports of Tyre and Sidon and traveled through the Decapolis, intentionally avoiding confrontation with the Jewish authorities. But now it appears that he's heading with resolve to Jerusalem. He's out in front walking ahead of the multitude that is following after him, and they're amazed and fearful. It sure looks like he's going to Jerusalem. Doesn't he realize what the Jewish authorities will do to him in Jerusalem? He's a wanted man. They want to kill him. But then, of course, Jesus knows that. In fact, when they were in Caesarea Philippi, shortly before the transfiguration, Matthew tells us that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed 
and be raised up on the third day. Of course, you remember how Peter reacted to that. He rebuked Jesus and said, God forbid it, Lord. These things shall never happen to you. But then again, after they returned to Galilee, Jesus said again, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And Matthew records, when they heard it, they were deeply grieved. He'd been telling them what he was going to do, but they weren't really hearing it. So he takes the twelve off by themselves and says it again. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. He's even more explicit this time. He says the Jewish authorities will condemn him to death and then hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him. Mark adds and spit on him. And that he will be scourged and crucified. Now, he had hinted at it before, saying he would be lifted up, but now he actually says it. He was going to be crucified. You know, those who suggest that things simply got out of hand in Jerusalem and Jesus was killed against his will are blind to the fact that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And he told his disciples what was going to happen at least three times before they got there. Of course, he also made it clear on all three occasions that on the third day, He would be raised up. He didn't want his followers to be fearful. He wanted them to know where they were going and why they were going where they were going and what would happen when they got there. He didn't want his followers following in the dark. He doesn't want us following in the dark today. Now, it is true that we don't know everything that's going to happen. But we don't need to know everything. Details concerning the immediate future have not been revealed to us. But we do know where we're headed. And we do know what's going to happen when we get there. And we know he knows the way. So we can follow him. Without fear, if we listen to him and understand what he's saying. Well, Luke makes it clear that the disciples didn't understand. In Luke 18:34, we read, And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. That becomes very obvious when we see what happened next. Verses 20 through 28. 
Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, Mark doesn't mention the fact that uh, James and John got their mother involved in making this request. He merely speaks of them as making it. So it's clear this wasn't her idea, but theirs. And it was a shrewd move. Salome, their mother, was apparently Mary, Jesus' mother's sister. So she was Jesus' aunt. And James and John were his cousins. And my guess is that they had been planning this for some time, and it was now or never. They were on their way to Jerusalem, and time was short. So they talked mom into approaching Jesus. You know, it sounded better coming from her than from them. And when Jesus asked what they wanted, she said, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. Jesus said she didn't know what she was asking for. Obviously, her sons hadn't been listening. Jesus wasn't going to Jerusalem to be crowned, but to be crucified. So she was asking that they be crucified, one on the right and one on the left. Obviously, that's not what they had in mind. They were still harboring visions of a glorious messianic reign in Jerusalem. They were asking for the seats of honor in his kingdom. Apparently, they weren't convinced that Peter would have preeminence among them. So they wanted to get their bids in before anyone else did. Jesus responded to the request by saying, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Without thinking, they said, sure, no problem. They had no idea. No idea what Jesus was talking about. They hadn't been listening. He said he was going to Jerusalem to be mocked and scourged and crucified. That was the cup he was about to drink. 
and it would be a bitter cup indeed. He would even pray in the Garden of Gethsemane for his father to take that cup away from him, if it was at all possible. But here they are saying, no problem, we can handle it. Now, it is true that they would drink from his cup, but they didn't know that. And they didn't understand what that cup would be when they said, we are able. James would, in fact, be the first disciple to die for the faith, killed by the sword of Herod Agrippa. And John would be the last living apostle, facing years of sacrifice and heartache and imprisonment for the cause of Christ. They would drink from the cup of sorrow. And they would eventually reign in glory with Christ. But the seats of honor they requested were not Jesus to give. The Father was taking care of those details. Well, the rest of the disciples became indignant when they found out what James and John had requested. They were no doubt upset because they hadn't got to Jesus first. None of them. None of them really understood what it would mean to sit on thrones with Jesus in his kingdom. He wasn't talking about lording it over people like rulers in this world. He was, he was talking about serving, about meeting needs. If they wanted to be great in the kingdom, in his kingdom, if they wanted positions of leadership, they would have to do what he was doing. They would have to become servants, even slaves, to the Father's will and to the needs of the church. He hadn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. They, too, should be ready to give up their lives in service to the kingdom. And with the exception of John, they would all taste the bitter cup of death in service to Christ. And John would be called upon to labor for years before going home. Like the oxen pictured on the Roman coin facing both an altar and a plow, they should all have inscribed on their hearts and minds what was inscribed on that ancient coin, ready for either. I like that. You know, Jesus doesn't want us following him with misconceptions about the kingdom. He doesn't want us to be disenchanted when things unexpectedly get rough in life. He doesn't want us to be shocked when horrible things happen, even in the kingdom of God. And he doesn't want us to expect a crown without first facing a cross. So he told us what to expect. And he does want us to follow him. But he wants us to follow him with opened eyes, something that is beautifully illustrated by what happens next. Verses 29 through 34. 
as they were going out from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the multitude sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Now, Mark and Luke only mention one of these two blind men, and Mark gives us his name, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Matthew notes there were actually two blind men sitting by the road when Jesus and the multitude passed by. When they found out that it was Jesus who was passing by, they began crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. When the crowd told them to be quiet, they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped and had them brought before him. He then asked them the same question that Mark records Jesus as asking James and John. He phrases a little bit differently than Matthew does. He has both of them saying, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What a question. What a question. What would you say if Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you? Well, James and John ask for seats of honor. We might ask for health or wealth. The blind men ask for their eyes to be opened. And that seems logical for blind men. And if we were blind and Jesus asked us what we wanted him to do for us, we would probably ask for our eyes to be open too. Well, guess what? We are blind. We are blind. And if we recognize just how blind we are, we would ask the same thing the blind men ask. Many of us, many of us are blinder than Bartimaeus, but don't know it. We're following around after Jesus, but don't know where we're going. And don't really know where he's going. So we find it hard to trust him. Hard to put away our fears about the future. And many of us have misconceptions about the kingdom. We've been taught that everything will be wonderful in the kingdom of God. And we expect everything to be wonderful as soon as we enter it. We're expecting a crown. But find a cross waiting for us before we enter the holy city. If that has brought you disillusionment, pray that your eyes be opened. Allow Jesus to touch your eyes and open them up to the truth. 
And don't worry, he won't hide the truth from you. He'll be as honest with you as he was when he told his disciples, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And he will tell you, my cup you shall drink. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, we're not only to follow after him, We are to follow in his steps. And if we do, we will find a cross ahead of us. Our crosses won't all be the same, but there will be a cross. There will be a cross. But we'll also find a crown. Because we, too, will be raised up. We have been given the assurance that if we are willing to die with Christ, we will be raised up together with him. And we get a taste of that death and resurrection in Christian baptism. For as Paul said in Romans 6, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Are you willing to follow Jesus into Jerusalem? Are you willing to go with him to the cross? Are you willing to crucify self and stop serving yourself but serve him? If you are, I encourage you to demonstrate that willingness. First, by obeying him in Christian baptism if you've not done so. And then by following wherever he leads. You know, if you can hear him calling you to follow him this morning, I beg you to respond. Publicly commit yourself to going with him all the way with your eyes wide open. That's the kind of follower he wants. Let's stand.